Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hello, it's Ayers on the Road. Richard and Linda here. We're reporting in from beautiful Bear Lake today up on the border of Idaho and Utah. It's a sunny day and gorgeous and um, we're just happy to have a chance to talk to all of you. It's such a time of turmoil and upheaval and so many things going on both on the macro and on the micro. I'm sure your family's like ours. We had a call today with some new news. We we have one daughter that's expecting twins and who lives in London. We, we just, you know, the older we get, the more exciting life gets and the more happens every day. It's like somebody's going to have a crisis today or good news or, or bad news some or kind of whatever. a thing, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just, it's it, amazing. We had a wonderful celebration yesterday because it was the reveal of the gender of these twins. Oh boy. And it was a crazy day because our daughter's in London and she was saying, okay, I'll t- I'm going to the doctor right now, about an hour. She's dramatic. So yeah. she had the technician from the ultrasound put the genders in an envelope and then that went to one of her friends who sent it to another friend who had some who who got some poppers pink and blue pop confetti poppers and <laughs> long then, story short <laughs> long story short they went up to the garden across there across the street from their little um, place there and they shot off pink and blue poppers oh one of each so we're we so we're so excited we're we're thinking that if you're going to have twins have a boy and a girl, and it avoids a lot of competition and comparing, and they can just be buddies forever. Yeah. And tell it's, each other about their girlfriends and boyfriends. Right. <laughs> it's so fun for us because we had twins with our oldest daughter, Sarah, and she had twins. She had five and five years with those twins. Identical twin boys. Identical twins. And they, were, they are fun. They're 15 years old now, and now with our youngest. And I also just have been reading my mother's history this week and realized that my grandmother had twins. I knew this, but I just had forgotten. She had twins, but she miscarried. She was out on the combine, running the combine, and working too hard and lost these little twins. Oh, gosh. But so the point is, there's excitement in the past, in the present, and in the future. And... I don't know, some of you are having some real depression from all that's going on, and we go up and down a little, to be honest, and you add all this, this uh, the, the, the street protests and so on to everything else that's going on, and I don't know, all of our children are really working hard to teach their children to really understand what racism is and how it can affect them in subtle ways that they don't that they don't realize and and boy it's so interesting to go through this and watch it all unfold it's and so intricate we we have a call i have a call actually the highlight of the pandemic for me has been a call on wednesdays with our daughters and daughters-in-law so there's four of each so there's nine a of zoom us on call. a zoom call it's nice even on the computer nine three three and three and uh, we talk about something um, different every time, but we talked about racism yesterday. And Boy, I, I'm so proud of our daughters and daughters-in-law yeah. in terms of how, how unproud they are and how, how they're willing to entertain the thought that they unconsciously have some racism in them, not, 
not of the virulent variety, but simply because they have never experienced what black people are experiencing and their, and their ability to recognize that and to understand that they need to try for a deeper kind of empathy and to, to really get it. One of, our, one of our daughters was here with us the other day at the lake and I said to her, well, how, how do you think we did as parents when you were growing up? Do you think we did an adequate job of teaching you about racism and so on? And she said, well, it's interesting because she hadn't had time to think about it. She said, I think the best thing you did is you, you taught us that as great a country as America is, it has two huge black eyes in its history one being how we treated Native Americans and two being what we did to, to the black race. And, I, I, and she, what she was saying is, we need to know that, we need to understand that, we need to feel a collective regret and repentance and then we need to try to do all we can to correct it. Well, I think it's all about, the racism isn't just blacks or just Latinos. No, of course not. It's everywhere. Um, we were reading my mother's history this week, I have been, and I won't bore you with why, but my sister and I have been going through all these letters from people who sent them to her on her 80th birthday. And this mother of mine was a magnificent person, absolutely amazing. And you better, you better say what you were saying in the car the other day about people who are, come from small communities and never have traveled very far or done very much. Well, we're all products of our own culture, and if you're, no matter how good a person you are, if you've never been exposed to any kind of diversity, your tendency is to not understand, you know, and, and then there's this unfortunate human quality that all of us seem to have, and we wish we could get rid of it and subdue it and cast it out, but we all want to feel better than someone. It's a terrible thing, and... You know, we, we're not commentating. That's not no. the subject well, for today. No, but, but my, my point for that I thought you were going to make was that these people who are the anchors of these small little villages where oh, all I know over what the you're world saying. Yeah. are absolutely fabulous people. They yeah. are yeah. Um, stellar. I mean, this mother made a difference in so many lives. I know what you're talking about now. I just... I, I I was repenting as I was reading how magnificent her letters were and her life was and so on, because I remember as a young twenty year old I just I when thought you were yeah, dating me. I just thought gee these these people live in these little rural towns they just don't know anything they don't I was really I was prejudiced oh, towards you that bad. well but I but I realized that I'm so stupid that I didn't understand uh, about that so. We need to just all pay attention, and it's a good thing to do. And ironically, our subject today for the show is is a book we did that it's probably the book we worked hardest on of any book we've ever done because it's it's not a how-to book for families and parenting. It's a why-to book. It's why we need to protect our families, why we need to prioritize our children, why we need to bond as strongly as possible with our extended families. And it's a book called The Turning. And I was just thinking, Linda, that, that that's, a, that's such an interesting title in different ways. It is for today. We, we need to turn away from prejudice and from racism. The, the turning, 
the, the unfortunate turning that went on in our country was a turn toward prejudice and and it's unbelievable to we watched a movie the other night a documentary called 13 on the 13th amendment 13th actually and how and how incredibly far we've come as far as tolerance but how far we still have to go but anyway getting to this book the turning the subtitle is why the state of the family matters and what the world can do about it what what our motivation was in writing it is that we you know we as many of you listeners know for 40 years we've been going around the world speaking to parents speaking to families and so on and, and we were always about how do you do it better how do you become a better parent what do your children need how do you give it to them and so on and the underlying assumption always was everyone wants to do that everyone wants to be a better parent and here, uh, about five years ago, or seven years ago, when we were writing this book, we realized that's not the case anymore. We need to talk about why we need to have families, why families matter, why relationships count, why choosing a life of sacrifice and responsibility and being a parent and raising children, why that choice is what society depends on. Yeah, it really, this was quite a... Uh... Uh, work of a lot of love because we spend a long time especially you honey spend a long time doing research on this and coming up with some possible solutions it was really an awakening for us Um, and of course the title really refers to scripture and you know the last verse in, in the bible and the, the last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi says this. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. With a curse. And that, that scripture about turning the hearts actually appears in what we call our five standard works. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, it's in our Book of Mormon, it's in our Doctrine and Covenants, it's in our Pearl of Great Prize. And it all says the same thing, that the hearts of fathers to children, parents to children, and children to parents, and then it uses this most ominous warning language, lest the whole earth be cursed, or lest the earth be utterly wasted, And you say, why such strong language? Because, frankly, society can't survive without families. We've found it interesting while we're writing about this because our parents and grandparents spent so much time on genealogy, meaning the research of their fathers and their fathers and their fathers. But we have kind of gone the other way and talked about our children, having our children turn their hearts to their fathers, but also having a, a, a real opportunity to turn our hearts to our children as well as to our fathers. And, and we started off with a pretty blunt statement. Just, just read basically, what, it says what we believe, and then it says this. We believe that turning our hearts toward our families and re-enshrining family as the crux of our culture is the only alternative to society's demise. Although this may sound extreme, it's not. So, and we, we, the way we tried to go about this, I'm, I'm a big guy on alliteration, sometimes to Linda's consternation, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's 11 chapters, and I want to go through them just quickly because they, 
they tell the sequence we wanted to follow here. So let's read every other one. And notice the C words as we go here. Okay, the crux. Everything starts with family. And everything ends without family. So we want to set up the power and the, the essentiality of families first. Then chapter 2, the crisis. How the failure of family fails us all. We'll come back and talk more about that. Chapter 3, the curse. Social problems. They are crushing society. Chapter 4, the, the connection. Deteriorating families are the cause. Everything else is the effect Chapter 5, The Cause, Media, Technology, Entitlement, Materialism, and Bigness. Chapter 6, whoa, where'd, where'd it go, where'd it go, where'd it go? Ah, uh, there we go. The Culprits, Large New Institutions Are Substituting for Small Institutions of Family. And 7, you are good on this, The Conundrum. Parents' perspectives are distorted by false paradigms. It's so true. Then, the part two, the, the optimistic, beautiful part, we hope, of the book is um, turning back. That first part is turning away from family. Turning back starts with the celebration. The best way to live is also the happiest way to live. The cure, making your own family. Then, oh, culture, stronger than all competing cultures. Then, the case for greater family focus within the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. And the last one, the coalition, building a movement from inside out. So after the break, we want to get into this a little further. We know that you listeners, by definition, are strong family people. No, you don't need anyone to preach to you why families are important. But what we all need is to understand more deeply what is undermining families? What is destroying commitment? What is turning us away from families? And then we're in a better shape to get back on course. So we'll be right back. Hang on. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back today talking about this crazy world that we're living in right now. Um, it's gone from, from the pandemic to the craziness of racism. And so today we're talking about the turning. Uh, probably you've been listening along and we are excited to maybe introduce a couple of new ideas. Well, and to get us all more up to speed on how absolutely essential the family structure is to the society of our, of our world. So what we're trying to get at is the ultimate goal of revaluing our families. And I want you to think about that phrase, revaluing. It has triple meaning. First, recognizing the transcending societal value of families. Second, personally reprioritizing our own family. And third, putting values back into our families. So think about that triple meaning, revaluing. It meant in three different ways. Understanding the societal value of families, reprioritizing our own families, and then putting values back into our families. You know, Those that are the is, things we've got to do. That is so funny in the context of what's happening right now. We've been listening to Shelby Steele, who was a, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford, who is black, who says the biggest problem with this whole situation 
with blacks right now is the family structure. 75% of these black kids are growing up without fathers, without supervision, and a lot of times without faith. Although there are a lot of beautiful, faithful black people, but that is a huge problem. Well, thanks for saying that, Linda, because that's the, we, we think the world in many cases has it backwards because we're used to hearing, well, Families are, are deteriorating because of poverty, because of bad education, because of ghettos, because of social problems and so on. And our whole view, frankly, is that the cause and the effect need to be reversed. The reason for so many of the social problems and the difficulty and the poverty is because of the de demolition and the destruction of families. So just to underscore that, think about this. Think of. Think of the functions that family has played in the world since the beginning of time. And as we read this list, ask yourself if there's any other institution, a commune, uh, a government, um, you know, a neighborhood, uh, is there any other institution that could perform any of these functions? Let's read them, let's number them. Num number one, the role, the role of procreation. Replenishing the population, that's obvious. Number two, the role of modeling commitment and cooperation. Children need to feel prioritized and that they have two parents to see partnership and teamwork. So that's not gonna happen without the family. Number three, the role of nurturing. The, the, these are the things family does that nothing else can do. The role of nurturing, facilitating children's emotional growth, helping them to develop into responsible adults. That's number three. Number four, the role of providing a lasting identity, something permanent in their lives as, as everything else, employment, residences, and so on changes. That, that role of permanence. Number five, the role of instilling values. Other institutions may help, but the buck stops with the family, wherein values are applied as well as taught. The Number six, the role of offering love and fulfillment to individuals at a level beyond what is obtainable elsewhere. Children should receive unconditional love within families and parents are, are refined and completed as persons, as persons through the selfless love they give to their children. And finally, number seven, the role of caring for the elderly, ideally in a personal or direct manner, but if not, at least in connection with institutional care. So, so conclusion, and again, we're preaching to the choir here a little with you who listen to this show, but two things are absolutely clear. First, society cannot survive, let alone prosper, without these seven functions. Secondly, no entity other than the family can perform this list of roles as well or as efficiently as family. So we try to get early in the book to the to the point of let's understand how difficult this is and and that let's understand that we're at some tipping points I mean you know some people say oh come on families have always been up and down there have always been good families and bad families no we are at a tipping point where we've never been before in history let us illustrate it here I mean we're going to quickly read you ten things that that are dramatic, that show you that we've never been where we are before and that we're tipping. The majority is now becoming the minority and the minority becoming the majority. That's the tipping point. Now we're talking about the U.S. here, right? Mostly the U.S. Mostly Some the of these US. are national, but it's or international. But it's true internationally. Yeah. 
Um, number one, we are very close to the point where there will be more U.S. adults who are single than are married. In 2011, the first time, for the first time, fewer than 50% of U.S. households were made of married couples. Number two, in Western, in many Western countries, as many children are now born out of wedlock as in. And, and unfortunately, our country's one of them. Last year, there were more children born out of wedlock than in. There are more U.S. marriages now that are ending in divorce than stay together. You see what we're saying about tipping points, where we're, the majority is becoming the minority. Number four, in many world cities, major world cities, there are now more households that are occupied by one single individual than households inhabited by any kind of family. Right. In England, a majority of women at childbearing age say they would rather buy a house than have a child. Just a, that's just something just a, in is. a poll. I mean, and in some Asian oh, countries. Oh, yeah. One third of them say they don't ever want children. Yeah, in England. And? Yeah. Uh, in some Asian countries, there are now more women between 20 and 40 who say they do not want children um, than say who they do want to. They do want children. I mean, again, tipping points, how, how it's, it's flipped now to where we're no longer in the majority. Number six, in the United States and Europe, among couples that move in together, far more now choose cohabitation than marriage. Far more. Far more. Three to one. For every, for every one couple, young couple, that gets married now in this country, three other couples move in together without being married. Throughout the world, higher percentages now seem to believe that the family should support the career rather than the other way around, that the career should support the family. Women now constitute more than half the American workforce, and women are now the primary breadwinners in 40% of families. The labor force participation for women aged 25 to 54 has increased from 37 to 75 percent between 1950 and 2010. And we're not saying that women shouldn't work. We're just saying that these are tipping points. These yeah. are tipping points that there are not parents in the home with children. And last, clear back in 2014, for the first time, this is pretty shocking. This is a good one to end with. More than one half of the nations on the planet, in other words, 116 nation states out of 224 recognized nation states, 116 of those have birth rates below the replacement rate. So population is declining in more than half of the countries. They depend on in-migration to have a workforce. We're used to worrying about overpopulation in Africa yeah. and in certain other places, but the majority of countries have the opposite problem. And the reason, of course, is people aren't getting married and they're not choosing to have families. They're not choosing to have children. Some say the fastest familial trend right now is chosen childlessness. And a lot of people do it, they think, out of altruism. I don't want to increase the population. I don't want to use more than my share of the world's resources. Well, when, when we had our first three little kids, um, preschoolers, I, we lived in Washington, D.C., and I hardly dared go to the grocery store with all three of them in the basket because people were, we were on the zero population um, increase trend then. Everybody was talking about zero population. 
uh, increase, and it really was amazing. But look what's happened to China. They're, they're going to pay for this for a long, long, long time. I mean, obviously they needed to have a lower population, but uh, that one-child thing has turned China upside down. Well, and that's the difficult thing about trying to talk, talk about this globally. I mean, we, we are great admirers of Bill and, and, and uh, Melinda Gates and their foundation, and, and Melinda particularly because she is a practicing Catholic and yet she understands that in Africa, the biggest single need, at least in part of her life's work, was to try to help people with birth control because women were having 10, 10 or 11 children, children and men, most of them, them were dying. Losing six of them. And they couldn't support them and so on. So it's, it's a balanced issue. There certainly are places in the world where family planning is absolutely critical. In fact, we really recommend her book, The Moment of Lift. It was so eye-opening for me. I absolutely loved it. So give that a, a look if you have time. And yet at the same time, on the other side of the coin, here are Americans and Western East Europeans and, and uh, developed nations in Asia where the choice not to marry, the choice not to have children is just seriously undermining society, not only because they don't have the workforce. You've all seen the inverted pyramid where you project the trends out and, and we live longer and longer. There's more and more old people and fewer and fewer babies being born and fewer in the workforce, fewer to support them. And you get this inverted pyramid where the whole economy doesn't work. But it's not just that, Linda, is it? It's the, no. it's the fact that we know, we believe with all our hearts that the whole purpose of life is wrapped up and, and centered around family, not only... Not for, only just the not, children yeah. and parents, but the joy. The, well, and what you learn, I mean, what you learn, that the, one of our favorite quotes by uh, David Brooks is that, you know, we, we need, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but we need to understand that great things don't come through the abdication of responsibility. They don't come from just being as happy and carefree and untied as you possibly can. Greatness and character and joy come from the sacrifices and responsibilities that you only make in family. And so we just, we just want to do our little part to try to wake up the world to families are, are necessary on every level, particularly for our own character and our own growth. Imagine who we would be, Linda, if we hadn't learned the lessons we have through parenting. I'd be a mess. Um, absolutely. You would be. <laughs> you agree? <laughs> no. No, it's so much. Uh, parenting is the refiner's fire. It does make you a better person. Sometimes it's painful, but Wow, it is so worth it, and it's and not only important for us as a couple, but for the world. So we just want to end with Linda's watch ringing here. <laughs> we want to end with kind of a, an expression of hope and kind of an expression of light at the end of the tunnel. We do feel like the world is gradually turning back towards a greater commitment to family. We see it all the time. Ten years ago, most of these upwardly mobile young families were, they had two kids and they were trying to decide, should we have a third? Now a lot of them are trying to decide on four. Families are strong. We hope they stay strong. 
So good luck. We've given you a lot to chew on. We hope you'll join us again next time on Irish on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.